Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. This podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at AAVMC. And so today's show is about life after NAVLI. And I am delighted to welcome two guests to this little bonus episode. We have um, the newly minted Dr. Matt Holland, recent grad, and, and we have Jenna Hartwell from North Carolina State. So welcome to both of you. Thanks, Lisa. It's good to be here. Thank you. So, um, as is our custom, I'd like to give our guests a few minutes um, each, a minute or so each, to kind of tell us a little bit about themselves and kind of how they got to on a podcast talking about life after Navli. So, uh, Dr. Holland, why don't you? Yeah, less than two weeks into that title, I'm still getting used to it. Um, I also just found out that I will be heading to Washington, D.C. later this summer for the AVMA Congressional Fellowship. So that is where I'm headed immediately after school. Congrats. So we'll be doing lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Great. Wonderful. So where did you where did you graduate from and what's a little bit about your background? Yeah. So I grew up just outside Chicago and moved to Des Moines, Iowa for undergrad at Drake University. And I studied journalism there and worked in television production for uh, six or seven years in Chicago, mostly Chicago, a little bit New York. I worked for the Big Ten Network, the Major League Baseball Network, and the Chicago Bears. And I also had a lot of free time in that career because I was only working while the sports were in season. So during the off-season, I spent a lot of my time with animals. My, my first off-season job was as a dog walker, and I loved it so much that the next off-season, I got a job at a shelter, and I even got ringworm there and got paid minimum wage, and I still loved it so much that I, uh, over time, over the course of those six-ish years, decided to apply to veterinary school. So now I'm two weeks they're less than two weeks as a doctor. So that's that's where I'm at in the journey. I don't know if I've ever seen someone smile about getting ringworm, but congrats. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> Jenna, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? That's uh, funny. Hey, Matt, I married a television producer. So uh, I feel you. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> transitioned. He now works in communications and higher education, but we spent 10 years um, bouncing all over the country. So I know you feel my pain. So, um, yeah, so my name is Jenna Hartwell. I'm the Director of Veterinary Career Services and Professional Development at North Carolina State University. Um, That's a kind of new role in veterinary medicine. There are only four of us professional career advisors working in veterinary colleges right now. Um, It's NC State, UC Davis, Ohio, and Florida. And together we have our own little professional association called VETCAN, the Veterinary Career Advisors Network. Really proud of that organization, and we're really working hard to help our students be able to find success in their lives after they finish veterinary school. And so, this topic is one that Lisa and I actually spent some time chatting about, I think, at AVMA last year, because part of that success after veterinary school is this exam and how challenging it is because there's this secret, this very deep secret that is that people sometimes don't pass. And so to do this um, podcast is really exciting because let's let's like get that secret out there so it has less power. Amen to that. 
So um, if you're in the veterinary profession, you should certainly know what the NAVLI is. The NAVLI is, is um, the big board exam that uh, students take, I believe, in November. And then they have an other opportunity in the spring, like February-ish. April. April. Yeah. So, um, so the real spring instead of like school versions. <laughs> spring. So, um, and so, you know, a lot of times we, we hear, um, wow, the NAVLI pass rate is so high, right? We hear that it's in the upper 90s and of course people pass the NAVLI, of course, of course, of course. Um, but um, what we don't talk about are the very small percentage of people who don't pass the NAVLI or who just don't pass it the first time and, and have to take it the second time in that spring. Um, and it, it, as Jenna mentioned, it becomes kind of this dirty secret that no one wants to talk about because so many people do pass that, you know, you kind of are like, oh, yeah, yeah, high five. You see all over Facebook, yes, I, or social media, I pass, I pass. And then there's, you know, the person who's just like, they're posting a meme because, <laughs> you know, a bitter meme maybe that, that um, you know, really doesn't speak to what those folks are, are dealing with. And so um, as as Jenna and I chatted about this um, over the last year, we found that to some degree, this is really kind of a small diversity group, right? This is a small minority group of, of students who are embarking on their career and really kind of have this um, um, sometimes really emotional episode right before the very end. So um, what's the impact of this? So Matt, We've invited you to come and talk about this. Now, most people in the profession, of course, also know who you are, having just served as SAVMA president. But what don't people maybe know about you? Yeah, well, secrets out. I did not pass the NAVLI on the first attempt. So that, uh, yeah, and I, and I remember it clearly. I got a couple texts that day because I had not made a Facebook update that people wanted to know if I had passed and I was just busy that day. I hadn't, actually hadn't checked at that point. So I was like, oh no, I'll check and I didn't pass. And um, yeah, it's it's hard and you know, people people just assume because the like you alluded to, those those pass rates are so high, people just assume that you have passed. And um, it's it's really it's difficult to talk about because um, you know we 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 have this whole imposter syndrome thing throughout vet school that and you know we know we know that we've worked hard and we know that we deserve this spot, but still when you're, when you're in the room, when you're in the classroom or you're in the clinic or you're in lab and you feel like you're the only one who doesn't know what's going on. Um, and you finally feel like you've gotten over that point in fourth year a little bit. Um, and you like start to do clinical rotations. And you're like, Oh, I know more than I think I do and everything is going to be okay. And the lights at the end of the tunnel and I'm going to get a job. And, you know, I have all these friends who graduated last year, two years ago, and life is going great for them. And then you get the news and you go go right back to that mode of imposter syndrome. I don't want to tell anyone. Like, I'm, I must be more inadequate than everybody else in the room. I, I will I will try to um, get make my way out of this with telling as as few people as possible. And I think that brings up kind of, you know, I was thinking about what I want to be the takeaway from, you know, what we talk about today. And one of the things that I think is so important is to tell someone, um, I can't help you <laughs> unless I know this has been a challenge for you. And I, I, that's the key point is that this is an exam about 9% fail every year. 
And so that means that, you know, there are people who fail. I love what you titled this, Lisa, Life After Navali, because there is a life after this. There needs to be a moment where you kind of mourn the test. And I, I was actually joking with a student recently about that. I was like, no, you went through the stages of grief, we, right? <laughs> right? Like you, you have to go through that to get to that acceptance place. And so we can move forward. It is easier to do that if you have people in your corner to help you do so. And so that could be a career development professional. It could be an advisor. It could be a mentor because they can help you strategize. As a college, we don't want you to fail. I, I don't think any veterinary college is in it for students to fail. I don't think so. I hope that's true. Anyone I else? Know any other that is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're all in this for you to be successful. You know, have a little faith in that. Um, and it's hard when, like you said, classmates have passed. And so you do feel really isolated. I did a little like research before today about the power of secrets. And in fact, they can make you physically feel like you're actually physically weighed down, that there are actual physical responses to holding secrets. And so, again, that's why I was clear about you know, we want it to lose its power, share with someone so they can help you strategize so you can move on to that second test so that you can have an action plan. It also will help things like, I've had a couple students now in my career who have failed the NAVLE, but were matched. And I don't know if any of your classmates, Matt, had that challenge, but um, my feeling is the most ethical thing to do is to tell. Well, if we've already got somebody in our corner who's helping us kind of think about our narrative, and think about the plan. So it's not just, I know I matched, but like I failed the nav. It's more, okay, so here's what I'm doing proactively. Thank you so much. I want you to know transparency is important to me so that you have a really positive conversation. So then you're not carrying that as well. Um, I think that telling someone is such a pivotal part of this process. I don't know what your thoughts are, Matt. Yeah, I, so I think telling someone is really helpful for like it, it helped me when I told people that I did not pass because uh, I don't know if either of you know Jen Quammen, but she was able to put me in touch with a friend of hers who also didn't pass and had developed some great strategies. Uh, I think looking down the line, it helps other people when you say that you didn't pass because a lot of my mentors have told me that they didn't pass. And I, when I got the news, I already didn't feel so bad because so many people who I respect and think are wonderful doctors didn't pass the first time and look what they're doing now. So I'm I'm trying to tell people, tell people that are behind me at school, you know, class of 2018. I'll tell my friends, you know, it, it didn't go the way I thought it would. Uh, and there is still life after it, you know, regroup. You, you nailed it. Like you're going through the grieving process. You can't. I remember coming home from that test and I couldn't do anything for like 36 hours. I couldn't think about it. And thankfully it was the weekend. But um, yeah, you need to take a little break and then you have to you know, analyze the process. and. Um, do you know execute the process and the outcome will be whatever the outcome is so two things i want to um mention that i think are really really important that, that both of you have talked about is is um and i and i do want to take a moment to really tie this to um this larger issue of wellness as well so recognizing that that um yeah this is a really kind of high stakes test right um and so as as matt just pointed out um, even just the aftermath of just physically taking the test it requires a little bit of recovery um, and then kind of getting 
your results, if you aren't, um, um, if you do not pass, I don't want to say if you aren't successful, because you are still successful, right? But, but if you don't pass that first time, um, you know, really um, share that. Don't, um, don't keep it a secret. Um, and really practice some self-care. Um, and, and it is okay to grieve something that you've been working towards for so long. Um, so, you know, you're not alone. Make sure that you are taking advantage of um, all of the wonderful resources that all of our member um, institutions um, provide. If you really would need to go see the social worker or the, the campus psychologist, please go do that. Take that time to really just practice some self-emotional care. Um, but then also tell, um, because I think that um, we, we all have those moments where we're in our lives, no matter what our discipline is, where we take a test and, you know, things don't quite turn out the way that we, we thought. Or, and, we, and if it didn't happen to us, we certainly know people for whom it happened. So those are two big things. So, um, so Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what was, you know, how did you, how did you regroup and uh, move forward? Yeah, so specifically my plan for the first time uh, was to get through 100% of vet prep. And I thought if I if I did that, then I would, you know, then I would trust how however I got there and be okay. Um especially because they give you that guarantee that you get the you get a re up on the subscription if you don't pass it and you use I think you have to complete 80% of the program. Um and that was my process and it didn't obviously uh turn out how I had hoped and so found out regrouped and thought okay well i you know i know what i felt comfortable with during the exam because i i went through that and when you do get the results back they tell you they break it down by subject and it's like okay so this obviously you know my process worked this far for these things and um the process didn't work it left some gaps so what what's missing and uh two things one jen Quaman's friend was able to help me quite a bit because she she didn't pass her friend didn't pass and um we talked a lot about strategies and it turned out she and i were very similar in test taking and studying preparation so uh, a lot of a lot of her strategies worked for me and also I don't, and i don't know if you have a database at north carolina state but jenna but um our one of our deans emailed our class and cc'd somebody from the class before us from 2016 who he didn't pass twice and he wrote our entire class and it was a great great email it was really like and he started off with how how happy he is at his job now and how and we all thought like we all he had a great reputation this guy was somebody who we all looked up to in our class and nobody had any idea except for his closest friends that he didn't pass twice and he was like hey you know like i failed by two points the second time and it was really disheartening and i was really discouraged and i wanted to switch careers and all you know all the bad dark feelings um but he reached out to all of us at once and said yeah it, i'm okay now and i i felt not okay at the time and i you know if you're feeling not okay then feel free to reach out and so i don't know if north carolina has a small database of students of people who haven't passed but illinois it seems like is getting that you know that started and so that every year when we in around january when we get the results back and there's that small percentage of people who need a little bit of assistance figuring out um how to get over that threshold of whatever how many questions or points you need uh to to just pay it forward and help each other out and it, and it especially helps because they did it like just the recent year you know i talked about my mentors who had 
had maybe not passed the first time, but the test was way different back then. And so to have somebody who just went through that whole process a year ago or 18 months ago is, is really comforting. Yeah, I, I kind of want to touch on a couple things you said, Matt. I mean, one is that, you know, your alumni have this direct relationship with you, and that's a really great population to pull from if you need support. And, um, you know, the other thing you were talking about initially, which I think is really good, and I want to touch on that, and that kind of leads to the wellness comment that you had before, Lisa, which is about studying different. And I kind of look at this a little bit like anatomy in first year. <laughs> I think for a lot of students, they get to their first year of vet school and they realize they have to study different for vet school. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So what I'm finding with students who've had to take the Navali a second time, it's it's not about not being um, smart. It's not about aptitude. It's about, oh, I didn't realize I had to study this way. Um, and so I think that's where talking to people who've taken the exam before can be really helpful. But that goes to the purpose of this podcast, which is to just put it out there that this happens so that people are more comfortable self-disclosing. You know, with FERPA and some federal regulations, it's hard for us to disclose, you know, students' information. But if someone self-discloses, that's very helpful and will hopefully lead to a path of success. The other thing I wanted to touch on and you kind of skirted around is here's this one exam that does not negate four years of school. And I think it's really important in those morning periods to remember that, that it's not like those four years of school disappear because this one exam didn't go as well as you need it to go. That exam is important. We know that. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this exam is important. You've also spent four years of your life focused in one area of study, and that is a huge accomplishment. And so when you're needing that, like the imposter stuff, right, when you're needing that reminder, it's, oh, wait, I've passed this much school already. Okay. Like, I got through freshman anatomy. Like, <laughs> how am I going to study different? Yeah. I, 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 I've heard, I don't know how many people tell me that they haven't passed anatomy, either on a one-on-one -on -one conversation or in front of a lecture hall. And every time I've been surprised, like, oh, really? That, like, you're, you're brilliant. I've never been like, oh, duh, of course he did. And, but, so we, we hear, you know, like people say, when I tell my friends, and I'm like, oh, I didn't pass, I gotta take it again. They're like, really? That's surprising. That, and we feel that about other people who tell us, but about ourselves, we feel like, of course I feel. I'm, I'm the worst. Yeah, I'm never, never gonna figure this one out. Yeah, it's, it's the, the mind games we play with ourselves. Maybe you need to like separate from yourself and say, okay, if I was somebody else, what would I say to my to that person. Yeah. What and kind then, of conversations do you have? Right. Like have that positive self-talk. It's it's okay, you know, I didn't, you know, I just relied on this one method. Um, maybe I need to diversify how I study. And that also goes back to you. If you tell someone, you know, here at state, and I know every member institution um will have somebody who's there to help you with learning strategies. It could be a librarian, it could be a psychologist. Talk to them. Maybe you didn't need it up till now, but maybe they have some expertise in test taking that could help you. Um, and that that's equally important. If you're someone who has a learning difference and you decided to not get um, accommodations through vet school, you know you can get those accommodations for these tests. So be thoughtful about that as you kind of progress through your four years. Yeah, I was actually going to um, recommend that that folks take a listen to. Um, 
the episode that we did on learning disabilities and neurocognitive difference. Um, there are some really um, great recommendations there, whether you have a learning difference, a diagnosed learning difference or not, understanding kind of how a little bit about the, how the brain works and how it works kind of under different circumstances. Like, um, you know, there are different kinds of stressors when you know that you're in a high stakes test, right? And there's some just basic things that you need to be doing. Of course, I mean, I, I have a teenager, she's taking SOLs, um, which are um, kind of our local kind of end of year high stakes tests, right? They say, make sure that your kid has a good breakfast and make sure that you have a good night's sleep. They don't say things like make sure that you stay hydrated, <laughs> which is also really important and make sure that you are, you know, not just eating, but eating really good nutrient dense kinds of, of foods. And that's, you know, not just on test day, but, you know, leading right on up to it, um, save the ice cream for. <laughs> right. And that circles back to the wellness piece that there is a wellness component to this. And in fact, when I talk to students in fourth year orientation, is really time managing that fourth year, looking at holistically at it. When will I study? When will I do practice visits? When will I interview? And if, and I always say, if you fail the NAVLI, how are you going to make sure that your schedule allows for time so you can study before April? So that's looking at 12 months in a very holistic way but in a way that will prepare you for success rather than going, oh man, I didn't realize this rotation was gonna be like this and I haven't left myself enough time to go over those flashcards or whatever it is. How did you find studying with fourth year, Matt? <laughs> it was, it was rough. <laughs> uh, lopped on, so I'm also earning a master's in public health. Good uh, for you. Was, <laughs> at the time, Savin president. Um, and also planning a wedding with a partner that lived in Chicago. So three hours away oh, was going to school. So it's not surprising that I didn't find all the time to make sure I, uh, <laughs> I knew all the answers to the NAPLI. Um, and part of it too, though, was like you just said, planning for the year. I knew that um, my top two, my top two jobs out of school I wanted, the, the fellowship was the first one in, USDA Food Safety Inspection Service and, uh, inspector was second, and neither of those needed uh, immediate licensure. So I that was part of my calculus of fourth year. I was like, well, I eventually am definitely going to pass this. Um, it's not going to go off the to-do list ever, and I, I want to be able to have it and use it. But if, you know, these things were a higher priority, and I was like, well, if, you know, if it doesn't happen, then... Um, it's still probably not going to be an impediment for for that you know for that plan of that year. So um, it just like you say, every every individual scenario is different. And and if if there is one takeaway from this segment, it's it's yes, planning the work life balance ahead of time because rotations, as we all know, they can put you underwater for weeks or months at a time. Great. So, well, we are glad um, that just just listening to what you had going on all at one time was <laughs> put me underwater. <laughs> and I feel like I was there for most of it. I'm like at another meeting. <laughs> um, so, so um, as we wrap up this bonus episode, um, Jenna, what are kind of your top three recommendations um, for life after NAPLI? Um, I think one, again, there is life after NAVLI, um, <laughs> and that if you don't pass, the first thing to do is find someone you trust and talk to them about it. 
just put it out in the air and let it be there, um, sit with it. The second step would be to strategize, okay? So you find out um, and in February, and now we've got a couple months to study, when are we going to put it into our schedule? What rotations do I have? How am I going to fit this in? I also, you also at that point, if you have matched or you do have a job under consideration, I do think it's very important to be honest with your employer or with whoever you've matched with so that they know where you're at. It also will make it easier for you to study because you'll no longer be holding on to that and you'll no longer feel like you're, because they're going to find out, right? Like <laughs> They're going to need your licensure information. And if you can't give it to them, they're going to find out. So <laughs> I would rather be the one to tell someone that 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 news. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, we have students who have failed more than once. And in those cases, again, make sure that you've got that partnership because you've got if you have that person you trust, they can help you progress forward. Look at some of the options that you have without that um, test passed, like, for example, working with the federal government, that's a wonderful option. Um, looking for some grant money to maybe do a research study at your institution, finding a mentor who's willing to work with you one on one. Um, but you need like to have that conversation so that you feel like you can move forward is really, really valuable. I have a couple employers from past students years past who have heard, okay, you failed twice, I will work with you one-on-one -on -one and make sure that you have time to study so that when you, and so you're basically a technician with a little extra oomph, and then in the fall, we'll do it again. Um, but that means that you just have to work with those people. Veterinarians as people, as you all know, are incredibly generous and kind, and we're in this for you to be successful. Again, going back to my point, like none of us, are here at vet school hoping that you're gonna just totally get out of here and fail so let us help you let us do our jobs um and you know remember that this one test is not negating the four years that those four years are yours no one else earned them you did you earned those four years and hold on to that because that is going to be real no matter you know if you fail it a second time or if you pass it a second time you still own those four years and congratulations on that Matt, any parting words after that? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, I think you stole the words out of my mouth for most of that. Like, I'll try to add some, uh, some supplementary information. Um, if, yeah, if you're like me, uh, having a group helps. So having a yes, it's very important to tell someone, and I, I totally agree with that. Could not, could not emphasize that too much. Um, it's, it was important for me to have classmates, you know, my own classmates at Illinois, who I, I also, through the grapevine, you know, we heard who, who didn't pass. Um, and we eventually got on a group chat and started messaging, you know, like, oh, what, what did you feel like didn't go well that day? And what did you feel like did go well? And how did you, you know, how did you handle it when it didn't? Or what do you think prepared you when it did go well, et cetera? Um, I think getting, getting time in the clinic, I know that this sounds kind of obvious, but I'm um, talking about like uh, on your free time or in first or second year in your free time, or maybe even as a part-time job, seeing, seeing the way that your particular hospital uh, operates can, can 
mitigate the learning curve once you're a fourth year. So if you're in the clinic as a first or second year seeing cases and seeing, you know, how we fill out paperwork and where this item goes, you know, then you don't have to learn all as much of that stuff when you're finally in the clinic. Um, so that helps. You know, I've got some second year friends here who are spending some of their own personal time, free time this summer, kind of doing what fourth years are doing, just seeing cases and taking notes. And um, I think I think that really helps a lot. And then the third thing that I was going to say is is notes. I, um, after I found out I didn't pass, I would in, during rotations just write down. I would have a piece of paper wherever with me wherever I was. You, you know, even if I was on farms and it was messy and it, or muddy or dirty or all the above. Um, I, I try to have a piece of paper wherever, wherever I was. And if something came up, you know, like pH or, um, you know, dystocia or just words that I knew I was weak on, I would try to write them down on my to-do list, my running to-do list. So that whenever I had to, you know, you don't always get time every day to look at that list, but when you finally do get some hours, you can pull that list out and be like, oh, I forgot that I forgot that I have to study that. But if you keep that list and you're like, oh yeah, I, I should run over pH, I should remember dystocia, this, this area that... You know, we we heard about it in rounds, and a little a little flag went off, or a little light went off, and um, that that has has helped me because you kind of know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. But if you can fill in those gaps while while it's happening, then that for me that helps uh, that helped push me closer to to feeling comfortable. Well, thank you both for um, spending a little bit of time on the show. Um, I am so glad that um, this issue was was uh, brought to our attention and we could actually do a bonus episode on life after Natalie. So um, we are looking forward to seeing what happens next with um, that can. And um, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to working with that group. Uh, and Dr. Holland, we are looking forward to your um, imminent arrival in the capital city. So Me with too. that. <laughs> With that, uh, we'll bring this episode of Diversity um, and Inclusion on air to a close. Um, be sure to look out for our next episode, which will be our final episode for season two, Men in Veterinary Medicine. And that will be uh, going down on June 7th. So um, that will be our big season finale. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got senior folks, we've got leaders, we've got a student, and of course we have to have a woman coming. <laughs> you want to talk about men in the profession. So um, be sure to, sh uh, to join us on June 7. And with that, I, we will bid you adieu. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you.